0: Welcome to today's episode of The Exploratory Journey, and in today's episode I'm joined by Alex Balderstone, who is the founder of Kaiku, and in this episode we will discuss everything from the evolving nature of the venture ecosystem to advice for graduates going into the startup world. Hi, and welcome to another Exploratory Journey episode. And today I'm joined by Alex, who is the founder of Kaiku. Hi, and thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Pleasure, thank you so much for having me.
0: Can you tell us a bit more about yourself, maybe a short career overview and kind of what you do?
1: Absolutely. So I wear a few hats, but the main hat I wear is running a company called Kaiku. Uh, We're a scouting platform for about 400 VC funds worldwide. Uh, And we use AI. So we built a platform that tries to improve the quality of deal flow for what we call emerging VC funds. So we typically focus on corporate venture capital funds, uh, tier two to four VC funds and family offices. So traditionally, the funds that are earlier stage, probably smaller teams and don't have an internal tech stack to improve deal flow. Um, A small part of my time is also managing the venture side of uh, one of the UK's biggest regional accelerators called Birmingham Enterprise Community. So I do legal funding and also manage a small portfolio of companies we have equity in as well. Um, I studied at Warwick. Um, I, you know, going back to what feels like an eternity now, but uh, started with a law degree. wasn't for me, very useful um, for anyone in VC or anyone in venture or startups. It will be half your work and it is half my work, but wasn't for me. Ended up in the business school there. Also spent a year at a business school in Paris called HEC. So I've done quite a bit of work across many European ecosystems. Um, Met my other co-founders through Warwick as well. We come from different backgrounds from other startup ecosystems. One of our other co-founders, Trish, used to work with Crunchbase. uh, A lot of their data and a lot of diversity in VC-related initiatives. And, uh, yeah, we sort of built up from there. Uh, We're backed by Startup Wise guys, one of Europe's biggest B2B investors, and a host of about 10 other investors, angels in their own right. Um, And, yeah, now we're about 400 funds in about 50 different countries.
0: That's super cool. It seems like you've done a lot of varied stuff. Um, but can you tell us a bit more about kind of Kaiku, um, what made you initially start the company and kind of like your motivations behind it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Um, I, and I appreciate in terms of, I think, as you said, some of these listeners, I mean, I was very non-conventional at uni. I never really wanted to work for someone else. That's not to say I don't think I could, but um originally I I set up a very big conference at Warwick which became one of the largest student teams in the UK called Warwick Congress so that was my I dibbed and dabs as we would say in smaller businesses when I was younger so I would suppose always had an entrepreneurial flair and after changing course created what with a big team what became the first multidisciplinary conference in the UK and that was really fun because you know traveling around Europe you know we had speakers CEO, CEO at DLA Piper, uh, VPs of the European Parliament, uh, a number of sort of leading, you know, board members from banks and things like that. Make it sound boring; it wasn't. (laughs) Uh, uh, Lots of you know, lots of fun doing that. Lots of problems, lots of issues, but you learn on the spot, and that sort of really took over what I was doing. Um, Then, yeah, I suppose. I ended up in France, and then got actually more into sort of the VC space per se, more startup space, and that really transpired to to what we do now.
0: And I guess um, you, I guess you've grown a lot as you mentioned over the past few years, which is incredible. But you know, um, as an investor, it's nice to think that you're getting deal flow from startups in um, the verticals and stages that they invest in. But even like with tech and AI, sometimes you don't always get the right deal flow to fit where you want to invest um, and you don't get the best recommendations. How do you kind of ensure as a platform um, that that doesn't really happen and you kind of give the best results to your clients?
1: It's a really good question. It's a really good question. It's defined a lot of the business model considerations, especially for us over the last six months as we try to look to scaling up and raising more funding ourselves. I don't think there is a right or wrong definition. And there's a reason we don't focus on, I suppose you could say, tier one investors, because the likes of Sequoia, Axo Index, yeah, or the bigger ones have teams of dozens of people, uh, and you know have you know very good teams that provide their own distribution effectively. But a lot of the funds that do this obviously have vertically integrated proprietary data sets that they don't share, nor understandably can they share with you know, other competitive funds, because they're all trying to get on the same cap table at the end of the day of decent companies. So for us, as a positioning point of view, it's become a lot more what I call enterprise focused than it is SaaS, mm-hmm. primarily because if you're working with, I suppose, larger players or, you know, you've got larger contracts on our side in that sense over a sort of three to four month period of implementation, you can balance the expectations of the fund in terms of what they're trying to do as well. But as you quite rightly said, if you've got a model that is you're trying to serve three to four hundred funds, of hundreds and hundreds of different yeah. you know opinions. I mean, if I was to tell you the number of times I've been in rooms with funds and with investments teams of four to five people taking them through the platform and gone okay so what do you invest into half the room will say one thing other half will say the (laughs) other and then they will proceed to argue so i think that's pretty representative of a lot of the european vc scene and i'm by no means saying i'm an expert of of course not but i'm just saying it's why we built the solution around the problem that we found um so i don't think there is a right or wrong way and there there will always be a lot of manual bias in this so that's why we don't need yeah, yes we do a little of due diligence but a fund is always going to have a behavioral insight or something that the gut tells them to go into so for us uh yes they can make a profile in 15 minutes and give them us implicit feedback to improve what comes through and how we improve that is really as i'm trying to think about half a million data points now we work with which really is not that many because that's only on about twenty thousand companies um but the more we get the more they interact that's how we try and improve what they do yeah.
0: and i guess that only that only comes with time um, and I guess, like, iterating and figuring out what works best.
1: Precisely. Precisely. And I mean, I think it's worth saying we're still at a very early stage as well. You know, we can only adapt to the feedback that we get and only about 5% of funds in, in the world use AI in their processes because they're all using Typeforms or HubSpot yeah. or something pretty basic, uh, which is fine. But it's, it's not really a way to scale a VC.
0: But over and I guess over time, more and more funds will probably, especially if they're investing in tech, will start to look to finding other solutions.
1: Yeah, you know, so that they would move away from a contact form on a Squarespace website. yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, do you think do you think going through a platform can potentially kind of lose the personalized touch that comes from? in initial pitch, you know, VCs, a lot of them, you know, harper on about how it's all about relationships and it's a people's business and all of that. And do you think kind of the platform um, going through a platform can kind of reduce that? Or do you think it's quite the opposite?
1: Um, Again, I think it's a really interesting point. And I, you know, I think the good funds are always going to be able to get on the good cap tables at the end of the day. And so I do get a comment, you know, quite a lot from a lot of funds going, well, why do we need you You know, if we can find good deals? And I go, well, you've just told me that you don't need us, so this is why I don't focus on you as a fund. So <laughs> you know, those aren't the funds I focus on. Um, I think a big thing that is changing is retail access um, to, to competitive deals. So if you've seen the likes of Vauban and Odin and yeah. other really interesting players like that, we don't do that. That's not, it's not what we set out to do. and and, you know in their own right they're both doing very very interesting things to say the least but i think that's definitely an interesting sector to suppose democratize access to to startups and you know why wouldn't you want someone that's got a very good operational experience but might not be able to put in a very large ticket it's Mm -hmm. you know it's a no-brainer and it's not crowdfunding obviously so yeah it's i think it's going to take a long time for the for the mentality per se um to change um but know hey yes i think to answer your question simply because i'm going on a bit um yes using a platform can provide a competitive edge but it's really dependent on the vertical of the market we're focusing on which is why we focus on the emerging VC segment
0: and i guess as you as, as you mentioned you're still kind of very early days and there's still so much you want to do to expand what has been the biggest challenge so far in scaling particularly because of the way in which the VC industry in Europe especially works and how closed office is, how it's very much a few people who um, all seem to know each other and all seem to kind of work on deals together. How did you kind of go about like breaking into the industry, trying to persuade people to actually start considering to use the platform and then I guess growing?
1: Uh, Simply put, I mean, when we started, we were a more community-based platform out of Google for startups, and it was definitely the wrong thing to be doing. But hey, this is what you learn as a first or second time founder to to pivot. Um, COVID, if anything, as horrible as it's been, was quite a good thing for us as a business because remote deal flow, people not being able to meet founders in person and things like that, and just a a new multitude of funds coming into the VC space was a good thing for us. So summer 2020... We went out to hundreds of funds, and then had hundreds of funds basically go, "Yeah, yeah, no, what well, have well, we got to lose?" You know, from a from a deal sourcing perspective. Um, so, just remind me what your question was specifically there because
0: I'm going off. What the was kind of, I guess, the biggest challenges in in scaling?
1: Yeah, I think I think you know we've got you know really good investors on board at the beginning, startup wise guys, but we went through a SaaS acceleration program with them, and I think there was the mentality of. You know, focusing there before we actually accepted actually more focused effort on a smaller number of funds where we can provide more value to them is actually better for us as a business commercially than it is the other way around. Yeah. That was definitely one big thing. The other thing is just how broken up Europe is. Um, I mean, in terms of a VC segment, we were mostly with I'd say of the funds, about 80% are non-UK based. And the reason is we act as a bit of an extension if they're looking into the UK or Western markets that you know they don't have access to. I was, for example, in South Korea just before Christmas, developing a lot of re- really interesting relationships over there at the moment because the regulations change and it's easier to invest overseas. So um that's a really hard thing as well. Because again, what countries do you focus on? Because it's great to say we've got funds in 50 countries and really interesting to understand the different dynamics uh per se, but that doesn't help you commercially. <laughs> so yeah. you know it's you know you've got to have gms in different continents and you know if i if i even was to go as far as saying before startup wise guys we went through a big startup program in peru we've called U tech ventures very great you know very well respected players in latin america um completely different right you know completely different
0: so i guess that that's the exciting thing because you're always learning and particularly because the oh yeah absolutely so different. and i think that's
1: the biggest joy i get from my job i mean i, I say this phrase a lot I, you know i love my job i but yes, I get frustrated by the industry. So you know, <laughs> how it is.
0: So, and I guess, I guess there are benefits of kind of VCs directly approaching startups and vice versa. But would you say that you know over time, as you mentioned with COVID, um, and the lack of especially in-person kind of meetings, that using platforms has definitely become. A bigger thing on um, founders radars, not just for VCS
1: I think so um I mean it's 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 funny right because I am a founder yet yeah, you know we're, we're yeah. building in a segment which is fun space uh, which is is ironic right um I think founders are open, but I think you definitely learn over time for the ones that you want to use and I think saying this as you know founder of Kaiku one of the co-founders is We've obviously got to put, you know, we want to be the most founder friendly that we can at the end of the day, but from a commercial angle, obviously, if we're working with the funds and they're the ones that are the ones investing at the end of the yeah. day, a big, you know, a big growth point that we've got at the moment is becoming a bit more of a open source toolkit, a bit more building crunch-based mm-hmm. functionality, search functionality below our main model. So you could call it enterprise enabled crunch-based yeah. if that makes sense, one way or the other. So it's always a very hard balance to get, the investor side and the startup side right in our sort of business model because it's it's not a marketplace nor is it a data analytics tool it's, it's sort of a few things in that in that segment but i I don't think there are you know again i the you know, brokers i'd always be very careful of you know you always want to check the track records what yeah. value do at the end of the day but my, my motto really is you know regardless as long as you're having some conversations you never know really where they're going to lead you exactly. so what to lose
0: and i guess that's a, that's a good thing because, you know, these platforms, especially like Kaiku, you're opening up access to some of these funds, which, you know, some founders may have not even heard of or knew existed, um, which, again, gives them more opportunities. But this is anyway. precisely
1: the thing, you know, what's to say that, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking, you know, a fund in Italy that you, and I say Italy because hey, I went through an acceleration program in Italy that a British founder hasn't heard of, but has an appetite to invest in the UK, that has very good operational GPs, you know, what's to say they could be a good addition to your cap table? you know, in the future, uh, especially if you're looking to expand into Europe and you need help in the, exactly. in the Southern European countries. That's a big thing. I think a lot of us forget.
0: And I guess in terms of like investors and deal sourcing techniques, um, it's always something on their mind. Um, and you know, looking for deal flow is always changing. There was an article in Sifted, I think, late last year about um, how Basically. one VC uses dating apps um, yeah. to find their startups, which was pretty interesting. Um, I don't know how successful they were, but where do you see um, the biggest developments in terms of kind of how VCs source deals in the next five years? And do you think dating apps are the best way to go? <laughs>
1: I read that article as well. I I, I don't think dating apps are the best way to go. I think there could be a source. But this is the thing, right? I think so many people have so many different sources. You know, when you look at even Fundex that I've seen before and they talk about where they get their deal flow from you know, one angle could be scout programs. I think, you know, we've seen that, and I'm probably going to get them wrong with Index and Sequoia opening got the scout programs in Europe because US money and all of that coming into Europe. I think tools like that are great. You know, Landscape's doing a good job of that at the moment with their new sort of scout facility. Are they all going to work? Probably not. Um, is it better to have something horizontally integrated across the industry? Absolutely. Um, because then again, how can you, you know, you've got the elite of the elite choosing elite startups yeah. for the elite. You know, is that really what we want to encourage? Probably not. You want to open Um,
0: it up and increase... Yeah, precisely.
1: You know, and then there's the whole, you know, and again, very, very important diversity angle. Are we making much progress there? Well, you know, I'd say, look at the data and I'm no expert in that space. But um, I don't think there is one good source, but I do know, and I think it's pretty commonplace that most, you know, funds will have most of their LPs or their trusted network advisors refer deal flow that comes in, which probably isn't the right way to be doing it. And again, if you were to actually analyze the... um, the inbound deal flow of a number of uk funds that i know they have a backlog of three to four months in their pipeline on type form i mean is that the best thing to put out there absolutely not you know absolutely
0: not so and especially if you've got a backlog of that many on type form it's like when are you going to get around to it if you it's if hard to prioritize I, I, the deal flow coming i don't run a fund uh,
1: completely you know again uh, just trying to build in the space that i'm trying to solve a problem for more than anything yeah. um, but it's not good enough you know it, it really isn't good enough <laughs> to have a backlog like that and it does happen we get commonly told that by funds okay good yeah you know good deals we'll talk to these companies but by the way just be aware we've got three month backlog
0: does a why? if your no. job is to if your job oh, is to I, speak to them sh- yeah precisely so <laughs> but i guess it's also really interesting because if, if if your backlog is coming through typeform which is probably a link on your website then that means the companies which may be able to scale but have no contacts in the industry are sometimes being left to the bottom of the pile, which A, isn't good for diversity, but B, it's bad for the funds because they might just end up missing out on some really good companies.
1: But if that fund's got good returns from fund one and they're on fund three and they've got lots of money to spend, I mean, they're the winner at the end of the day out of that (laughs) perspective, You know, that's I suppose that's just how it is.
0: And I guess the amount of capital flowing through Europe currently is really high compared to past years. Um, and it means VCs need to kind of market themselves as providing a lot more than just purely money um, because you know, there's so much money coming from everywhere at this point. What would you say are the biggest mistakes you've seen investors make when kind of engaging with startups?
1: Uh, I think you can break it down a few ways. I mean, I think the first thing is the engagement process is probably my biggest qualm, you know, if that's the word qualm, just concern is no feedback. Uh, and I appreciate that the, the numbers here make it very difficult. But again, if they're not using tech and it's just an email and you can't say, it's more often than not, it's better to have a no than not have a no at all because yeah. you're left hanging. I think that's that's a huge thing. And even as I as found a founder raising, you know, it's, 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 it's a concern. Um, then you look at their portfolio and think, how did they get on this cap table sort of thing? That's one. I think the other half is definitely portfolio support. I mean, we've got a great support network and very, you know, grateful for what Startup Wise guys do with us um you know but that goes beyond legal just growth strategies hiring i mean there's a huge and this, this is a hard thing here right for smaller funds that if you've got a small management fee maintaining several salaries it's hard to bring in a portfolio support person especially if you've just started your fund or just raised or something like that um so i definitely think that's got a long way to go but more than anything i think the bigger problems usually at the beginning of the process and trying to you know that's why we're trying to solve the problem we are
0: And do you have do you have any advice for first time founders when raising capital? Like maybe one big piece of advice.
1: Um, I think a lot of people overthink it. Um, I mean, provided we're assuming you've got something built, hopefully, or you've at least got some early user feedback. I'm not even saying revenue, but it always obviously helps. I think being very confident in yourselves. You know, feel you know you should be confident in yourselves, and actually. One of our investors andrea orlando who's the managing partner of Wise Guys italy um, and i'd recommend following him on twitter not just because he invested in us but because he writes some very good uh, tweets and you know follows the market very clearly but one thing he did say the other day is he's surprised how often how many founders don't oversell themselves and you know feel confident to, to be able to do that if it's on your deck where did your team work you know i'm surprised how many decks that i see that and I don't know where they work, but they worked at a big company, I'm not saying Google, but you know, a lot of really big startup players or their early employees, and they don't get that across. Um, and every, you know, I always say every experience is relevant experience. I mean, hey, I used to run a conference, you know. <laughs> now I, you know, if you ask me what VC was two and a half years ago, I don't have a clue. You know, it, it that that is just how you make your way into what you're doing. So yeah, um, it, it is just sheer perseverance more than anything else, as, as as much as I dislike saying that, it is, you know, it, it is part of that as well. But networking as well is part of that. It's a huge thing.
0: And I guess investors also kind of want to know your story. It's not just you're just another kind of startup. An object yeah, it's storytelling as
1: well. And we had lots of work with this with wise guys. I mean, when you're on a program for five months, for 15 hours a week, it gets quite intense. But, you know, I, I think there's a huge amount of value with that, especially storytelling, you know, presenting yourself. I know I've been speaking really quickly through this, you know, through this podcast. But again, you learn to speak to different markets. It's and culture is a huge thing. I think, yeah. we, you know, I think lots of people miss across continents and just pitching and there's just different ways of doing business as well.
0: And I kind of wanted to go back to what we started off with in terms of your career, because, you know, you mentioned to me that you never really saw yourself kind of in the corporate world. Um, and for a lot of graduates, particularly today, particularly post-COVID, particularly realizing that there's so many other opportunities out there and you don't need to follow the conventional grad job kind of career path whatever all your peers are doing um and although that's really scary especially for someone straight out of university having no real clue about the working world um do you have any advice for someone who realizes or has come to the conclusion that you know they don't want that grad job and they want to build something they want to go work in a startup or vc or something like that um, and want to kind of start their own thing and is there anything you would tell yourself back in the day when you had just graduated which you think would have been great advice i think
1: community is probably the biggest thing and it's i appreciate it's a buzzword but i really do mean it i mean we were fortunate when we started to be part of google for startups which sadly no longer exists but if you can find that right community in your area that helps you get off the ground and really around those people more than anything, those are the ones that will get you through. I mean, as I say, part of my time with the Accelerator in Birmingham, you yeah. know, outside London, and we've got to remember, I appreciate most VCs in the southeast in London, but there is a huge country out there beyond yeah. you know, London and the M25. You know, the regional economies are massive. So if you've come from somewhere else in the UK, through Newcastle, that's where Ignite started, Manchester or Liverpool, Scotland's got a booming scene. And again, one thing I often say to a lot of businesses looking to come into the UK is actually don't forget about the opportunities of setting up in Wales, Northern Ireland or Scotland. That local money there and especially equity investments, huge, much better than in tons of regions in the UK. So I'd say it's really that community. It's really getting in. But if you get that opportunity to even intern, again, I probably shouldn't say paid or unpaid, but I would say that just to help out, I really would because you're associated you're picking up that knowledge you're networking with the right people and i think that's the best way to do it of course don't you've got to balance everything and have a sustainable lifestyle. um but you know that's why there are programs out there like i'm going to get it wrong join you know ideation horizon vc investing in ideation stage as well it's not for me uh to say if this is good or bad but i'm just saying there are more ideation stage programs and more ideation stage you know things to go through that west entrepreneur accelerator um there's a lot out there
0: And I guess that's also really exciting, particularly because it means that, you know, startups coming through London, through the UK, through Europe are going to start to rival those kind of being built in Silicon Valley and for far too long, I think, that... Some people yeah, I mean, there's more.
1: There's more. One of our teams, Sid, used to run. Uh, he's the investment director at Ace Ventures, the biggest student fund in Holland. Um, if I remember correctly, there are many more of these now in Germany. First Momentum, Spain. There's one in Barcelona. We've got obviously Creator over here as well. Jamie was obviously the ex. Is it dorm room lead at Stanford? If I remember correctly, there's a lot more possibility than there used to be five years ago. And I would say jump on it. It's not perfect, but it's it's come a long way.
0: And I guess. Um... That's also probably going to lead me on to my final question, which I like to ask everyone because I think it's really interesting to figure out, you know, where everyone's coming from in terms of their career. So what kind of motivates and inspires you to do what you do? Um,
1: I like solving a problem. And I also, I suppose, it is, well, more than anything, again, it might sound cheesy, but it's the people around me more than anything. I mean, I and I think this is probably what I learned running the conference war at Congress was, just the opportunities of people that you'd never expect to meet in the opportunities that you would be. I mean, I, I remember distinctly just getting on a random flight once going back you know, probably six years ago now and ending up in Germany. I got kicked out of the Deutsche Borsa HQ trying to find speakers. And then I ended up <laughs> World trade organization with a, with a very pleasant individual called Bernard Coitin. I'm saying a surname probably wrong, but he's the head of external relations there and welcomed me in, talking about you know speaker opportunities with the then um, head of the WTO and and everything like that. But you know a lot of what's built on is frankly you know it's there, you've just got to go and find it. Yeah. Um, you know you've just got to push it, like how are you found doing this. You know as you find <laughs> a lot of people doing there, it's true though. It's it's true, and I think a lot of people underrate that. And, and I'm not saying they don't push themselves, but everything's on your doorstep it's called LinkedIn and Twitter you know that's that's the um, internet gives you so many opportunities. I mean, you know actually if you're talking about VC, I'm going to get the name wrong was it Rare Breed Ventures over in the US I think um, the first fund was basically raised on Twitter for about 10 million dollars and a lot of diversity <laughs> in BC stuff I mean that's super you know to follow the story there but it is in front of you so
0: and I guess that's that's also exciting for the next generation because you know 10 years ago, you probably didn't really have access to what you have access to today. And it's all across the world. It's 10 years ago, I was
1: running a photography company. So So that's how much has changed. You've come (laughs) very
0: far since then. (laughs) Clearly. But thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Um, It was great chatting and learning a bit more about kind of what you get up to. And hopefully our listeners have found this very insightful.
1: Absolutely. And if anyone wants to get in touch, my email is alex at kaiku, dot co. so feel free just to LinkedIn me or uh, find me there. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to The Exploratory Journey and I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Please make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to follow all our social media channels on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn to stay up to date with our future episodes.